158 people came to church over the Easter weekend. 433 on Good Friday night, 16 people gave their heart to the Lord. And when I talk about these conversions, this does not count what might have happened in the kids' church. Um, forgive me, I did not get that number, but here in the uh, sanctuary on Sunday, there was 1,325 in the house and 47 people gave their heart to the Lord. So 63 total <laughs> conversions over the weekend with 1,758 people. That is incredible. God has truly, truly blessed us. So um, um, I want you to pray for me uh, as I will be leaving tomorrow for Africa for 10 days. And um, there's, a, there's a lot going on there, and, and I don't have time at this point to uh, discuss it, but we will be in the south, we will be in the north, and we will be in the west. So there's 12 different flights involved. It is a tremendous undertaking, and so I desire and covet your prayers. Myself, a pastor out of Hinesville with his son, and uh, a representative from the international offices is going to be going uh, as well. We're going to meet with their national overseers. We're going to be training pastors. We're going to be visiting the orphanages that you gave $13,000 to last year. We're going to be visiting the Bible school and carrying some, some things. Uh, by the way, I know it's late, but if someone should happen to have an iPhone 5 that they do not use or greater, uh, that you decided you just let it in the drawer when you bought your 10 or whatever, you would become an instant hero if I could take that and give that to a pastor over there. Anything iPad technology, uh, iPhone, anything like that that is in-op or you don't use anymore because you've upgraded, if it's serviceable, they can somehow make it work. It'll be a blessing to them. So if you want to do that, you could turn that in at the office or any of our staff, and I would take that with me tomorrow when I go. God bless you. Let me talk with you today uh, about... Uh, being a Christian. Isn't that great? I mean, being a Christian, I hope that you are, and if you're not, you're in the right place that you can become. But what does it mean not only to be a Christian, but to be a world Christian? One that, uh, not just me and my four and no more. Matthew 22 and 37 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, and that's the first commandment. And the second's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, you could probably quote it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. By the way, there's a baptism going to happen right here next Sunday, so that's a plug for it real quick. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe all that I have commanded you. So what is our attitude uh, uh, about reaching the unreached people of the, of the world. You've heard me talk a lot about our motivation around here. Now, it's not that we forget once you get saved, because you need to be enriched. You need to go deeper with your knowledge of the Lord. You need to understand the Bible more than just God so loved you enough that he saved you. You do need to get involved in discipleship and get involved in a study, into a life group. But let me show you some of the things that Jesus is disappointed in when we start talking about Christianity uh, in name only. When, because half the world says I'm saved or more. If you were to poll a bunch of the world, they would say that I'm saved. But if you really get down to it, about 17% actually uh, attend church every week. So consider some of the things that clearly displease Jesus. 
Uh, I, I want you to notice, and I don't have time to preach out these stories, but I want to mention them to you. Jesus was um, displeased when he saw people that fished and caught nothing. You might be like that too. You know, uh, Kelly, if she goes fishing, if they ain't biting within five minutes, she's ready to go. And, you know, and I know some people here that catch fish in a bathtub, man. I mean, you just... But, but we're talking about uh, spiritually speaking because Jesus said to Simon Peter, you're no longer going to catch fish, but you're going to catch men. In other words, you're going to steal fish, you're going to still throw the net, but we're trying to catch men. We're trying to win converts to Jesus Christ. And Jesus was upset when people fished but caught nothing. Now, I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Now, I'll, I'll, I do know that he went on the, the shores of Galilee one night, and the disciples was in a boat, and he said, have you taken any meat? And they said, no, we hadn't taken nothing. Well, how long have you been fishing? All night. He said, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll catch a draw of fish. They said, well, Lord, we fished all night. We've taken nothing. Jesus is always upset when we're going through motions with no results. Amen? He don't like it when we're fishing spiritually and not catching anything. I wonder, why, does, why do churches continue to do things that are not producing results? Why do we keep doing things? That's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, hoping for a different result or expecting a different result. Not only was Jesus uh, upset about that and displeased about fishing without catching, he was also displeased about an empty banquet table. If Jesus invited people to eat, he was aggravated if they didn't show up. Now understand this. When Jesus made a meal, he made, I mean, he put on the dog. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about he knew how to fix it. And he had a banquet feast. And you remember the story, people began to make excuse. I've bought some oxen, got to go prove them. Bought some land, got to go see it. Married a wife, legally I can stay home. Jesus was upset with people who he invited to his table. Now, again, that, that speaks spiritually, too. When he has put out the invitation, and they, with every excuse under the sun, begin to make them. That upsets Jesus. And then he's upset with sowing and not reaping. He talked about how some people scattered seed, and it was on the wayside. And when it's on the wayside, that means the ground has not been prepared. The seed can't go down. It's not been covered up. So the birds are going to come along and peck that seed. They're going to get it all, and it's going to be gone. Jesus was upset about sowing and not reaping because you're wasting time. He said when you sow seed on the wayside, birds are going to get it. He said, and then there's some of you that are sowing seeds, but you're, sto you're, you're doing it in unprepared ground. You're doing it in stony ground. I mean, and the seed can't get down into the earth. He said, and so then, you know, it might go a little bit. It'll spring up, but as soon as it gets hot, it'll wilt and die because it has no depth of earth. That's kind of like a, someone says, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord on Easter. And they think they're strong enough to do it without getting involved with Christian folks and without locking in with a church. Pretty soon the, the heat of the trials gets hot in your life and you begin to wilt and die. And then Jesus said, there's somebody else. He said, some of y'all, you're sowing seed, but you're sowing it among thorns and thorny ground. And, and then the deceitfulness of this life and the riches thereof choke that seed and it dies. 
Jesus was upset when people would not come to a banquet they had been invited to. He was upset when people would fish and not catch and sow and not reap. He was upset and displeased when he walked by a fig tree one day, and he knew it was a fig tree because the leaves identified it as a fig tree. And he asked the disciples, he said, where are the figs? It's a fig tree. And they said, it ain't got no fruit. And Jesus began to curse that tree. And the, they said, Lord, please, none of the farmers said, don't, don't kill it yet, but give, give me a week. When you come back by, if it ain't got no figs then, or if it ain't got no better, then, you know, you, so Jesus is upset with things that look like they're something, but they produce no fruit. Y'all understand? So Jesus is upset with things like this. And then there's something else that upsets him, and I wish I had time to tell you all of it, but I'll just hit it quick. He's upset with lost things. You remember Luke 15. I told you this this past week. Uh, there was a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost boy. Now I want you to notice something. That, that the last one was the pinnacle of his trilogy. That was a lost son. And he's upset when things are lost. And I think when he told the story, he emphasized the fact that the shepherd left the 90 and 9 and went to look for the one that was lost. He emphasized the fact that the woman who lost her coin called all of her neighbors. Now, I don't know if she had an iPhone or if she just opened the door and, and called all of her neighbors, but they came over and they got a candle and they got on their knees and they went through the house until they found her coin. And then the lost boy who had gone and wasted and all of these things, you heard that story last, last week. What Jesus is simply talking about is it aggravates Jesus when things are lost and nobody's looking. When things are lost and nobody's looking, it's one thing if it's a sheep. It's another thing if it's a coin. But if it is a lost soul, I told you the value of a soul last week. Jesus is upset that, that we call sometimes, that we call ourselves Christian. And I believe we are, and I think we're on the cutting edge. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking our church. I think we're doing wonderful things. Do I think we're at the height yet? Nope. Do I think that we've got as far as we'll get? Absolutely not. I think we're scratching the surface on what God wants. So, in order for us to really give justice to, to, uh, to, to talking about what Jesus likes or what he wants, and Jesus wants us to be a Christian, not just a Christian, but a world Christian. Not just a Christian of the United States or of Israel or of England or wherever you at. But see, Jesus, the Bible says that God sent his son to die so that all, all who believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I want us to kind of look back at a historical view. And in Acts chapter 1, God, you see, God designed it when the day of Pentecost had fully arrived. You remember Acts chapter 2 when they was gathered in one room in one accord, 120 people. Y'all remember that? Jesus had told them not to go into the city, don't go preaching, don't go teaching, but stay here praying until you're endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. I've promised you that I'm going away, but I'll send you the comforter. And he'll be with you. The kingdom of God is with men. Remember that? And then he said in Acts 1 and 8, I'll give you power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. 
So that's what Jesus had for them. He wants them to know that, that this is for everybody. Did you know by law? In fact, if you read Acts chapter 2, and I don't have time, but there were Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and people from Cyprus and Pamphylia and Egypt and Crete and Arabia and all of these places. Why was people from all over the world, the known world at that time? Because by law, every male Jew 20 years old or up by law had to come to the feast of uh, the Passover. They had to. Uh, the feast of Pentecost. They had to come. And so here it is. I believe that God had the world in mind. That's why the law said all of these men had to be there. What greater time for God to use strategy? God is a strategist. Didn't you know that? What he decided was, was when they get here for the feast, I'll pour out my spirit on the upper room there, and, and the, the, they're already in town anyway. It'll be noised abroad. Peter will get to preach the premier message and become the apostle of the early church. Are y'all with me? And this message will go to all the known world. Isn't that amazing? That was what God had in mind. We've got a parallel of this in the Old Testament. You remember in Genesis chapter 11, they were at the Tower of Babel. And you remember the Bible said they got their mind together, all hearts, one mind, one accord. And they said, we're going to build a tower to heaven, and nothing shall be impossible to us. And, and God agreed that if they get their mind together and they get right and get in unity, nothing will be, you know. And so God decided because those people decided we will make a name for ourselves. And God says, you don't need to make a name for yourself. I've already given you my name. And, so, and that's the problem with some of us today. We're still trying to make a name for ourselves. And God said, I've called you by a new name. I've called you by my name. And so God said, let's go down and confound their language. So God came down and confused their languages. And so now all of a sudden, some of them speaking Italian, some of them speaking Spanish, some of them speaking Ugandan and this and that and the other. And we don't know what in the world everybody's saying no more. So they can't get it all together. Almost like Congress. We can't speak the same language for nothing. Are y'all with me? I didn't mean to go there, but I did. So uh, anyway, so Genesis 11, God confused it all. In Acts chapter 2, he brought it all back together because there was people from all over the world that spoke all kind of languages, and they didn't even know, they didn't have no interpreters there. When I speak to the uh, pastors over in Africa, I'm going to have interpreters, believe me, because I don't speak, you know, uh, any of the language of all the countries I'm going to go to while I'm there. But somebody's going to be speaking, uh, you know, interpreting what I'm saying. But guess what? They're gathered at the upper room, and there's all these people from all the parts of the world. And the Bible said we all hear them speak the wonderful works of God in our native tongue. Woo! So what God did is gave the Holy Spirit on that day when they were gathered in one room in one accord, cloven tongues as a fire sat upon them, and they spake with tongues as the Holy Spirit gave the utterance. A rushing mighty wind filled that room. It blew their minds. Some people said, these men are crazy. That's what they called y'all when y'all came out here. <laughs> They're crazy. These guys are nuts. And, and, you know, somebody spoke up and said, you know, Peter said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in chapter 2 and 28 in the last day. says, God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Are y'all with me? 
Listen, so if Peter made reference to in the last days, I'm telling you it's been 2,000 years later, and God is still displeased with banquets with no people and sowing without reaping and fishing without catching and looking like something that we're not. As I look back, uh, you see, it's one thing to to uh, look back, and we do look back. I look way back. I, I see a, a fellow by the name of R.M. Evans. I might have a picture of him, I'm not sure, but R.M. Evans was a missionary to the Bahamas. He had a call of God on his life to go to the Bahamas, and he and his wife drove to Miami, Florida in 1910 where they sold everything they had and bought tickets to the Bahamas with no return trip in mind. You see, and they become the first missionaries sent there. Their passion for the lost. I wonder sometimes where is that passion going? Because it is easy for you and I to get complacent and to get comfortable. Because we've got the niceties and, and all of that, but, but what about the lost? And then I think about a guy by the name of William J. Seymour. You remember the pastor of the Azusa Street Mission? Well, he pastored in Houston for a little while, and then Charles Fox Parham. He was already preaching the full Pentecostal message, and after meeting Parham, Seymour invited him to preach. Uh, or Seymour was invited to preach actually in Los Angeles because he was pastoring there um, in Houston. But he was invited to preach in Los Angeles. And guess what happened to him? He got out there and he decided this is where God wants me. And basically, they said Charles Parham basically gave Seymour a one-way ticket to Azusa. And he never came back. <clears throat> but did you know people from around there? William J. Seymour right there. Now, interesting enough, I got a little story to tell you. This is a black guy who led this Pentecostal movement at the Azusa Street Church. We trace our roots back as well to Azusa Street. Are y'all with me? And so do so many churches. Now, I want to show you a little bit about this. We'll talk about it. Uh, Seymour was pastor of the Azusa Street Mission there in Los Angeles, California. Pentecostalism had spread around the world. He was born in poverty in rural Louisiana, <clears throat> born to, uh, to slaves. Seymour migrated to Indiana, and there he worked several jobs. He worked as a waiter in restaurants and a porter on a railroad. In 1905, he traveled to Houston to take a church there, and he began pastoring in Houston. That's where he met Charles Parham, who was already teaching uh, and, and believing in full-blown Pentecost. After this encounter, Seymour was given a one-way ticket by Parham to go to Azusa Street. I want you to understand something. There's another cast, or another character in this cast. His name is Gaston Barnabas Cashwell, G.B. Cashwell. I don't know if I've got Cashwell's picture or not. I had a hard time finding it. But Cashwell was a proud man and a prejudiced man. He, was the, he became known as the Apostle of Pentecost to the South. He was from North Carolina, uh, is his native state. He heard about the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. He, was, uh, he experienced such a baptism or such a, a desire to have the fullness of God and everything God had. He said, I, I, I agonized in prayer. He said, my wife agreed for me to sell my property or sell some of our property in order for me to get a ticket to go to Azusa Street. Problem was, he didn't know that Seymour was black. <laughs> Y'all, yeah, woo-hoo. 
So when he arrives there in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, surprised to find that blacks were leading the movement, he refused to allow black hands to be laid on him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He went home, went back to his motel room. In his motel room, he attested the next day. He said, God crucified my flesh and my racial pride in my motel room last night. He come back that night and he said, I want William Seymour. I want him to lay his hands on me and pray that I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Along with all the other blacks that was in charge, and they did and he did. And he became the apostle to the south, leading the church of God, the free will Baptist, the Pentecostal holiness, and many more movements into the church. Amazing thing. Let me tell you something. God can use anybody. I don't care if you're white, brown, red, black, green. God can use anybody. Because we are all created in the image of God. Amen. There ain't no superior race color or creed there's no superior place if you will this is about reaching everybody to whosoever will let them come so well give the lord praise so let's try to look ahead um so we kind of look we look back at some things about uh, our statement of being a world Christian. Now, now, let's look around. We've done that. We see what we're doing. We see what other churches are doing. Let me tell you something. Churches are dying by the dozens. Loving their model more than their mission. Let me, let me explain this one more time. The model was getting from point A to point B. That is transportation, driving. And they done it by horse and buggy for years and years and years. Along come Henry Ford, and they changed the model. It became a Model A, and then a Model T. Are you with me? Say amen. And now some of y'all have got a Model L, Lexus, you know, or whatever. It is. I don't know what you got now, you know, a Maserati or something. But, but listen, the, the model changed. The mission didn't. And those who held on to their models... Let me say, if you, if you ride horse and buggy now, Todd's daddy, matter of fact, my son-in-law left today to go to Illinois to ride horse and buggies. Isn't that something? Fly a jet plane to the north to ride a horse and buggy. There ain't nothing wrong with it. Uh, Lonnie loves, he raises them, he loves them, he trains them, he does all that. But by and large, if you ride horse and buggy anymore today, it's not because of the mission of transportation, it's because you love horses and buggies. It's a hobby of yours. We don't do that for quick transportation anymore. We commute some as much as an hour or more. I, you know, in fact, uh, some, some way more every day to work. But churches are dying because they're so in love with their model. We do church this way. And we're going to keep doing church this way. We don't care if we're the last four in the house. And that's their mentality. And that's what will happen, too. It'll be the last four in the house, and then they'll have four funerals, and it'll be gone. The mission is to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ and reach the lost to the ends of the earth. <laughs> to be a world Christian, that means the model might change. The mission does not. Listen, our missionary work is not over 
So then we look around, now we have to look ahead. I look ahead, and, and you know, I'm proud of the work that's been done here at the harbor. Don't get me wrong. You have done some amazing things. Uh, we have tried to reach this generation without forgetting the previous generations. I'm reminded every time I look in the mirror, I'm part of those previous generations. Amen? But I don't want to forget us and, and those ahead of me, and I don't want to leave behind, certainly, my children or my grandchildren, or if I tarry long enough, great-grandchildren. I don't know. So what the future is, is that we stay true to the mission. We stay true to what God called us to do. And don't let him be upset with us about banquet tables that are not filled. I'm telling you, we broke bread to a full house. So the first two services, there was no room at all in the sanctuary. And down that hallway, I'm told. Because we broke the bread to a full house. And even, and let me say something. i got to say thank you to those 200 that I asked to come to the 12 o'clock. Because you did. And had you not, we'd have had nowhere to put all those people in the first two services. So my hat's off to you who helped us out. And came to the 12 o'clock. By the way, there was 325 people in the 12 o'clock service alone. So incredible, incredible deal. So our missionary work, what is it to do? We got to reach this community. Someone called me yesterday, day before yesterday. They spoke of our children that are despondent and depressed and the suicide rate. Some of you know we just had a, another death of a beautiful young 17-year-old girl here in our county. We're putting together right now an effort to go to the school grounds and to pray with families and invite the community to pray against, over uh, and against that, that demon spirit of suicide and oppression and depression and people that would, would uh, try to do foolish things like active shooters in schools and all that. We want to come together, and it's not just about the harbor. It's about a Baptist and a Methodist and an Episcopalian. We don't care. Just come and let's pray, God, help us love our children and reach our children. Help us be part of the team of heaven. And that's I want us to be a part of it. That's why we embraced other churches and other organizations as we ran up to Easter, and we stretched as hard as we could stretch my Lord, we love our children. Why do you think we spent more than $20,000 upgrading the children's wing? Just on the children's side. <laughs> that again over here. Y'all with me? Say amen. Because we believe in them. Why are we hiring somebody to lead that department? Because if we say that they're important to us and we don't put any money where our mouth is, we're lying. Faith without works is dead. If we say we love them and do nothing, we're, we're lying. James said, I just mentioned it just a few weeks ago. He said, show me your faith, or tell me you have faith in works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He said, if we meet somebody who's hungry and destitute, and we say be filled and be fed, what good is that? Unless we actually do it. Would you stand with me now? I want us to pray. I want to give up us an opportunity to pray and ask God to help us become open. Listen, we're going to go to Guatemala later this year. You say, well, Pastor, we got stuff. I know we got a lot in our own community, and we're doing a lot in our own community, and we're going to continue. I think it's both. I think we have to be cognizant of those here 
And we also have to be aware of those out there. That's one of the reasons I'm headed to Africa tomorrow. So I want us to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would become world Christians, that we would become mindful that you're displeased with people going through the motions, having fancy tables but nobody to eat, having nice fishing equipment but with no fish, uh, sowing all kind of seeds in the fields but having nothing come up. I understand you're upset with that, Lord. You don't want us to continue working things that don't work. So help us have a mindset that says we're going to do things that work. We're not going to say, God, bless what I'm doing. We're going to say, God, help me to do what you're blessing. I give you the praise, Lord, for what you're going to do. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Saints, pray for me. I want to become a world Christian. Can I see your hand real quick? That ought to be, really and truly, it ought to be everybody. I, I'm not signing you up to go to Africa with me. I'm just saying, I want to be world-minded. Not worldly-minded, but world-minded. Father, in the name of Jesus, let us have our mind on the lost of this world and know that you're displeased with things lost without people looking for them. In Jesus' name, amen.